waste happens. It's a big picture thing with lots of moving parts and waste at every turn. So what can we do? What difference can I make? Cookbook author and former Maymay restaurateur May Lee is here to motivate us at the household level with Food Waste Feast. Because so much food waste happens after we buy our groceries. The forgotten salad, half a lemon the recipe didn't call for, it all adds up. But... You can use the bits and pieces that you have lying around in the fridge from recipes to turn into other dishes. It's also about, you know, being a more empowered cook. Making little changes with not just how we cook, but how we think about food can make big differences to our wallets. And bonus points, the environment too. This is all the stuff that could have gone in the trash and I'm going to eat it. And I save that money and I save that food. I find it super satisfying personally. It's oh so satisfying. For links and related episodes, check out the show notes on balancingstories.com. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter for bonus content, free of course. And if you like what you hear and you want to support me, you can leave a tip through Buy Me a Coffee, link on the website. But let's go ahead and start the conversation. I'm Megan Kitchen, and this is Balancing Stories. A big welcome to Balancing Stories podcast to May. How are you? I'm great. I'm doing very well. How about you? I'm good. I, we just chatted in the little pre-interview kind of warm-up sesh that we're both moms. And this is the first week for both of us that we're kind of back working. Because yes. our kids are actually like out of our hair for a second. Kind of amazing, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it feels so good. I mean, I we'll throw in the like little mandatory, hey, we love our kids on the side. But it's also nice to do other yes, things. Absolutely. To have the the chance to focus on something that you care about as a as a human and not necessarily just as a mom. Yes. Oh, oh, that is the quote. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've asked you on today to talk about food. I actually have not done a food episode since episode two. Oh, that's the exciting. very, very beginning. You know, we sneak food into a lot of conversations. Right. But not an episode explicitly about food. And so here we go. And kind of the overarching topic within food or over food today is food waste. Yes. Um, But before we dive into kind of that topic and where you are now and where you're going, I'd love to know kind of what your food heritage was and what your food upbringing was and and why you're so connected to food. Absolutely. So Mm. I grew up in Boston. I'm the middle kid of three kids and um, we are a Chinese American family. So my dad was born in China, but my mom was born in Boston also. So we have a very kind of Americanized Chinese upbringing with, you know, we'd get served. This is in, uh, the 80s. So like a mix of Kraft macaroni and cheese and also white rice in the rice cooker every day and Chinese food, a real mix of, of cultures, which um, which was great. I loved growing up with all these Chinese influences, going to Chinese restaurants with family and friends and getting to experience what that you know, hustle and bustle of Chinese restaurant life was, but also, you know, going to the supermarket as a kid and eating all the chips and crackers and American food. And really, um, that led to us opening our restaurant, which is very much a Chinese and American influence of um, 
cultures and tastes and how we grew up together. And the the restaurant came from actually the food truck, mm-hmm. which was you and your siblings all coming together. So are you all foodies? <laughs> yeah, so that's a great question, I would say. So um, my brother had come from the restaurant industry itself, actually. He'd been in the restaurant industry for about a decade, but always working for other people's restaurants and really wanting a chance to do something on his own. And then my sister has always been into um, farming and social justice, and she has done a lot of work in um, at farms and really working on the food system more broadly. Mm-hmm. And then I was always interested in... I was always interested in the eating and the cooking and everything. I mean, we all are, to be fair. So we started this food truck together, and we started with um, dumplings and scallion pancake sandwiches, you know, a sort of a, a combination of the things we grew up eating. Like, we would grow up eating these very traditional Chinese uh, scallion pancakes, but then we would stuff them with, like, eggs and cheese and pesto and all these funny things that, you know, you would never expect to be put in a scallion pancake sandwich. And now is this really popular sandwich in Boston. And um, and then, you know, my sister brought in the side of working with local farms and trying to source as, you know, sustainably and as responsibly as possible. So we kind of brought in all of our different influences, but always really centering around this idea of um, what having grown up in the States, but with the Chinese heritage brought to the table in terms of food and, and the combining of cultures and, you know, what felt authentic authentic to us. It's not necessarily what people would think of as Chinese food, but that's really how we grew up eating. And that, that felt, you know, important to, to strive for that as the kind of food that we made. This balance between the two kind of sides of yourself, your two different culinary upbringings, how did you strike a balance between those two and still feel like what you were creating was, quote, authentic? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And something, you know, that, that was always something to be kept in mind when we made menu items, but we really went for what was, what we felt was delicious and um, not to be constricted by what, what was sort of traditional from a culture. So, you know, we made, I think one of the first menu items on our food truck, this was back in 2012, was um, a beef and blue cheese dumpling, maybe. What? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think it was like, a, um, I think it was a Chinese red cooked beef. So that's like a very traditional dish. Um, and then what we, we put blue cheese or cheddar in. I can't remember. <laughs> Something that, you know, um, our grandmother actually ran a Chinese restaurant back in the 60s in New York. And hers was very traditional. You know, they had they had immigrated from China and cheese. You don't really eat a lot of cheese in Chinese culture. So just kind of the idea. We joke sometimes that our cuisine is called Chinese food with cheese because those <laughs> we grew up eating and loving cheese. And there are a lot of places where it actually fits in really well. And um, now the dumpling company, May May Dumplings, that my sister runs, she they do all kinds of dumplings. And, you know, there are some that are more traditional, but there are plenty that we, we believe that, you know, if it's delicious, it will be delicious in a dumpling and that, you know, it doesn't have to be some certain idea of what what people think belongs in a certain cuisine or in a certain dish, that if it tastes good, then we're, we're open to trying new things. I think what we talk about a lot is the idea of it being authentic to us because we are kids who grew up balancing these different cultures and, and being very much a part of both. So why not combine those in food? Do you feel you're still helping like expose people to different types of food? So maybe people who only grew up with American cuisine are now getting some exposure to Chinese flavor profiles and people who grew up maybe strictly with Chinese profile 
of eating are getting more exposure to, well, cheese. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I mean, we, so my, uh, my sister runs our dumpling company and um, we teach a lot of dumpling classes. We do virtual and um, I mean, we used to do in-person classes and it's really fun to see, you get kind of get to see into people's kitchens and I run a lot of the classes and um, I always tell people, you know, you can make a traditional dumpling filling if you want to here are the ingredients but isn't it great that you just go into your fridge and kind of pull out whatever you want like you can pull out your leftovers from last night or you can put this ingredient in that normally wouldn't be in a dumpling and you can create whatever feels good to you and that's going to be you know that's fun and you've, you've learned something cool like just transmitting the dumpling folding skill is something that we really love and bringing that into people's homes. And, um, and yeah, and then just getting to eat what you've made and, you know, put in whatever you felt like is, is something that I really find satisfying. Ooh, I might have to sign up for one of those classes. Yes, I've never, <laughs> I think dumpling folding intimidates me a little bit because I have no connection well, to that's, it. That is perfect. So my, I love to fold um, dumplings with my six-year-old daughter. You can bring your kids and it is something that you can do if you are six years old and have tiny hands. And it is something that we teach adults with like absolutely no experience whatsoever. So okay. it's a beginner. And then I will take you through by the end, you will be able to pull off some beautiful dumplings. I promise you. Ooh, if I, I might have to actually do this. <laughs> <laughs> but you already gave a really great segue into kind of our main topic of today, which is food waste, when you said you can even use your leftovers. Yes. Just open the fridge, put it in a dumpling. Absolutely. The question, before we get into maybe some delicious chat about how we do this, is why should we care? about food waste? That is an excellent question. Thank and you. so much there. <laughs> and let's I could talk about it. this for ages. Yeah, let's unpack it. I mean, you could talk about it on a household level where, um, you know, the money that you spend on your food, if you throw out that food, that that's just going down, it's going into the trash, it's going down the drain. And that's something that kind of came to me when we started running this restaurant. I didn't have a food background, um, but I had a uh, went to business school. And, you know, I know that if you are wasting your raw materials, that is, you know, your food's going into the trash, then your money's going into the trash. And when you think about that in your own home, and you've got your money that you've set aside for groceries, if you don't eat it, then that's going to waste. And it's frustrating to see food go into the trash, but that's, it's also an environmental issue. So uh, one of the big things is that food waste, at least in the States, most food waste doesn't get composted. It goes into landfill and that creates methane and that's a greenhouse gas. It's bad for the environment. It's bad for the planet. Um, and then on a social level, it is all these people who could be eating food that is instead going into the garbage. There's you know, so many people who are food insecure or don't have access to um, enough food to keep them healthy. And, you know, you see we have waste all along the food chain. It's not just a problem of individuals. There's companies, corporations, farms, there's loss along the way. But interestingly, uh, about 40% of food is estimated to be wasted on the household level. So that's people buying food and not eating it. You said 40, 40, 40, 40. And about the number, the amount of food that is wasted, similarly around the, the world really, is 30 to 40% of food that's produced is estimated to be wasted, as in grown to be eaten and not eaten. Grown to be eaten and not eaten. And when you say this is 40% is from household, that means it's already been purchased mm -hmm. and taken home and then mm -hmm. wasted. Yeah. Because I know from 
going to visit family in the U.S. and seeing the grocery stores and right. how they overstock the produce absolutely. section. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I know that grocery stores are also guilty of food absolutely. waste. So it's all along, you know, it's all along the food chain. Yeah. Um, but. You know, those grocery stores have a more financial incentive to figure to optimize that as best as they can. So yeah. even though there's tons of stuff going getting thrown out and so there's issues with, you know, expiration dates, that's a big issue on both household and business side is that, you know, you might not be able to sell something that's perfectly good just because it has a certain date printed on it. Same way that people look at a date on their food and think, okay, I can't eat this, even though it's just a manufacturer best buy date or a sell by date. Mm. And so for example, in the UK, um, the grocery store chain Morrison's, they just phased out milk labels with the idea that, you know, your your nose is capable of telling you if that milk is good to eat. You'll know when you smell it, if you want to eat it or not. But plenty of people look at the date and say, okay, that best buy date is gone or has passed, you know, I should just throw this out. And just gallons and gallons of milk is thrown out for that reason. There's tons of um, problems in the system that are both problems on the individual level in our kitchens and then a grocery store, supermarket, restaurant level. Um, there's waste all along the chain. But it's something that we can all do. Every, almost everybody can do a better job. And myself included. You know, I'm well, all... Myself I'm, included. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's a single person out there who buys or cooks food whether you're cooking for one or for a family or more, that doesn't have a problem with it. You know, it's difficult. Food is perishable. You have to keep track of it. You have to be organized if you want to not throw things out. And, you know, I do this professionally and I still feel bad sometimes. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to throw this out. And that's tough to see. I don't like doing it, but I get it. I get why people do throw out food, but it's also, it's good to know that all of us can do something about it too. It's interesting because when I mentioned grocery stores, you said, well, they have a financial incentive to make it work, to waste mm -hmm. as, as little as possible. But earlier you said we also have that financial incentive, Absolutely. right? And Absolutely. I think we forget that. Yeah. I mean, it's estimated. I think the last um, American estimate was that households waste like a thousand, over a thousand dollars worth of food a year. And that's, you know, they, it's kind of like you go grocery shopping, you buy four bags of food and you just like leave one in the trash as you walk out the supermarket. It's so hard to think about in the same way because it's not, you know, once you've spent your money on it, you don't think about it in the same way. But you know, you bought that $4 box of lettuce or whatever it is, and then you kind of ignore it for two weeks and then it goes in the trash. And, you know, that's that's your grocery money. That's money you could have spent on other things. So, yeah. So we know why we should care. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, now we do. Um, the question is, how did you get into the like fight against food waste? Because maybe we all care Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean we do something and it doesn't mean we make a public right. display of doing something. So how did you get into it then? Yeah, so I, I definitely grew up in a family where we were conscious of waste and, and um, economy. And I think that combining that with what I was saying about running this food truck and understanding for the first time that, you know, we had spent our limited amount of money on food ingredients to then make into something else that we would sell. And if those ingredients didn't get utilized, then we were wasting that money. And then really having a family and focusing on, you know, running the household. And then also it being something that I've always enjoyed doing is creating dishes and cooking from what seems like nothing. So, you know, I'll go to friends' houses and I'll look through their fridge and they'll think, I've got 
nothing to eat. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'll fish out these things from the bottom of your crisper drawer. And I'll go through your pantry. And I'll take that, you know, those bones that you had lying around. And I've just made you a soup or a stew that you thought was was, you know, not possible with what you had. And I love seeing the different ways that people cook and, you know, having one of my best friends, she absolutely loves, she's a great chef. She's really good at cooking, but she adheres really closely to recipes. And that mm. ends up with a lot of food waste because, and, and this is someone who is coming from someone who's written a cookbook. And I understand how the way that, you know, that you have to call for certain amounts of recipes, like a, a half tablespoon of parsley or whatever it is. Uh, that's the way recipes are written. But then you have this bunch minus half a tablespoon of parsley. And if you don't know how to use that up, then you've just wasted all those expensive fresh herbs. And so working with her, you know, kind of make cooking with her and realize showing her that you don't have to adhere so closely to recipes and that then you can use the bits and pieces that you have lying around in the fridge from recipes to turn into other dishes. It's also about, you know, being a more empowered cook. It's learning to be able to trust yourself and to cook things that aren't explicitly laid out in very, um, you know, rigid steps and instructions and uh, measurements and amounts. And you can create so much more food that is still delicious if you are able to do that. So then you took this passion for food and creating things out of what others might see as nothing and you turned it into Food Waste Feast, which mm -hmm. is a whole platform and could I even call it like a community? Sure. Yeah. I love that idea. And so it's a blog. It's also social media. You're working on a cookbook. Yes. You're doing all these things. How and when did Food Waste Feast come about? Um, I moved away from running the restaurant full time in 2018, I think. And I wrote a cookbook that was based on the food that we had made at our food truck and restaurant called Double Awesome Chinese Food. And, mm. you know, kind of <laughs> kind of going back to what we were talking about, the idea is Chinese and American food together, but also being able to kind of riff on recipes and use what you have, because we'd already, already kind of incorporated that into our way of doing things at the restaurant. And so what I was saying about um, dumplings is we had the recipe for traditional-ish dumplings. They're not really traditional. Well, they're traditional in the sense that, you know, you've got the ginger and the scallions and the ground pork. But then instead of what my mom would have served as um, like a Napa cabbage or Chinese chives, and that requires a special trip to the Chinese supermarket. And who wants to do that? You know, I pull open my fridge and I see what greens do I have? Do I have kale? Do I have cabbage? Do I have Brussels sprouts? You know, all of those can serve as the green in your dumplings. So that writing that cookbook and then also realizing that when I wrote that cookbook, you know, the um, the guidelines of writing a cookbook, as I was saying, you have to be very specific, but sometimes I really didn't want to be specific. And so I realized that I wanted to write another cookbook that said, look, if you've got um, two cups of greens, awesome, but you could also make this with three cups. You know, you don't have to really listen here. You can make something, you know, you make it the way you want to. Do you want a lot of greens in your recipe? Do you, you know, use, use a cup of fresh herbs instead of one cup or just use the whole bunch. So I'm trying to write work on this book now that is, um, you know, making it so it things are flexible and that you learn how to trust yourself and your taste and that you can adapt this this recipe or these guidelines to use what you have and like what's going on in your kitchen. Because if you adhere too closely to what someone else has written without knowing what is going on with you, then, you know, that, that that's where the waste comes in or that's where things don't line up where they as well as they could. And so I want to encourage people to be a little bit more flexible and, um, and adaptable when they cook. 
So you you wrote a cookbook before, Mm -hmm. but that was not so much focused on food waste. Right. Right. Yeah. That was the kind of Chinese American cuisine um, with a little bit of starting to think about, you know, the food system and our and our waste and everything. And then the second one is the one that's really focused on on using up what you have and being creative in the kitchen. And those things, you know, I think it's not just focused on, you know, there are a few cookbooks out there that are like, here's how you use up your kale stems and um, and like things that we often throw out. And I include a little bit of that too. But sometimes it's just like you didn't get to that whole bunch of kale that you bought. You know, it's there's so much more there than just the little bits and pieces. And the way that I think about it and have kind of framed it in the cookbook is that a lot of food works well to think of in categories. And so you know, all so many leafy greens can be interchangeable. So many root vegetables can be interchangeable. And if you get comfortable with the idea of swapping one sturdy vegetable for another, for example, you're much less likely to throw those out because then you realize that the the universe of ways that you could use that item gets expanded in a in a really big way. So if people get more comfortable f- swapping and substituting, then you have tons of ways to use things up, basically. So it's part cookbook, but part how-to. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way of saying it for sure. It's not just a compilation of recipes. I think um, there's lots of ideas in there that are just like suggestions of ways you can use things. And a lot of it is is cultural. Like, um, for example, the Chinese like to stir fry cucumbers, but in the U.S., like we never cook cucumbers. Like you only eat cucumbers raw. There's stir fried lettuce recipes, for example. Like my, you know, one of my best friends went to China, moved to China after school, and she was like, "I have not had fresh lettuce in a, a year. Like the lettuce <laughs> here is only cooked." And it's just you know these different cultural ways that we are used to eating foods, but it turns out that there's so many other ways to to you know make it edible and also make it delicious. And, you know, something that, for example, while we're talking about lettuce, like if you're going to eat it in a salad, you want it to be bright and fresh and crunchy. But if you're going to stir fry it, it's okay if it's a tiny bit wilted because it's going to get cooked and wilted anyway. So bringing in these other ways of cooking things allows us to, you know, expand our options. And that's a really nice thing when you are staring at this lettuce that you bought and spend money on and then realize that that's not going to get eaten in a salad. So what do you do with it now? And now I'm trying to get there, get people to a place where instead of just automatically popping in the trash, you think, okay, how can I use this up? Like, what are my options here? Yeah, I saw you post on social media, a little thing about scallions. And it's funny because in your comment or your caption, you even said, are you the type that buys scallions and then forgets them in the fr-? And I was like, guilty, <laughs> yeah. guilty. Totally. But what I what I appreciated about your post is you're like, well, actually, if you just peel off the outer layers and it was, it was this how-to element mm, to cooking mm-hmm. that I think a lot of us need. We still, even those of us who are mothers and are supposed yes. to know everything, right? Totally, totally. And are suddenly responsible for feeding a whole family. We have to do it know. all. Yeah. You know, maybe we weren't raised to understand how to like dig deep for the good part of a vegetable that's going off. Right. And so it, there's still room to learn about these things. Yes. And part of the cookbook is, you know, going through these different categories of uh, food. So much of it is vegetables because it's really, you know, they're perishable. We throw them out a lot. Yeah. Um, and understanding that, you know, it is okay if you have a moldy onion, you can peel off the outer layer and you can eat the inside. And that is really? okay. You don't have to throw out the whole onion. Yeah, what? totally. Tell and me then, more things. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's so many useful things in there where it's just like... 
of course, I understand that you don't want to worry about getting sick. And, you know, my caveat to everyone is that if you're a healthy adult, go for it. If you are, you know, immunocompromised or feeding a, a baby or, or someone sick, then, you know, you obviously have more care. But there are so many things out there that you can just cut off the part that doesn't look good and or whatever it is. Um that, you know, you smell it, it it might look funny, you know, meat changes color because of oxygen exposure, not because it's gone bad. There are so many things out there that if you, you know, whether it's you know the science, or whether you are just um, getting a chance to learn these things, then you you really understand that there's so much that can be eaten. And, and also just an, an, an understanding of, you know, what I was saying about best buy dates is like, that's the manufacturer saying, this is when we think it's absolutely perfect to eat. But that doesn't mean that it's unsafe to eat. It just means that, you know, maybe the juice changes color slightly, or maybe it's going to separate and settle, but it doesn't mean that you can't eat it. It just means that, you know, they have had to come up with this date. And, you know, it's funny from personal experience, we did a whole line of bottled sauces from our restaurant. And, you know, so so much of that stuff is just like, well, just put a date on it. <laughs> it's not it's not regulated by anybody. None of this, you know, there's no system of um, universal standardization of food labels in the U.S. So there's just a lot of it is just, you know, the manufacturer gets to put whatever date they want on it. And that is confusing to people. And so I get it why people throw things out. But, you know, it's, it's good to be informed about those things so you can make the decision for yourself. You are blowing my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Even just looking at what does the label actually say? Is it sell by? Is it best buy? Right. Right. There's a difference there. And if you've never been taught how to read those, then yeah, I totally get why you look at the date and you're like, okay, you know, the person who made this put a date on here, I should get rid of it. But you got to look at those with a bit more um, skepticism, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that I think is interesting as I've been following you is learned behavior around cooking. Mm -hmm. For example, just today, I was kind of meal prepping because I had a day off from my kids. Right. (laughs) Got to keep working. Got to keep working. (laughs) Um, And I went to make just this carrot soup I always make, and it's carrots, a little bit of sweet potato, coconut milk, uh, ginger, Mm. garlic, and peanut butter. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Awesome. And I always, out of habit, peeled the carrots. Mm. Yeah. It's a pureed soup. Right. <laughs> it doesn't need to look pretty, right? Totally. And so I was sitting there looking at a kilo of carrots because right. I'm, I'm making a big batch. And I went, if I peel all these carrots, I'm losing a third of my materials. Yeah. And so I gave them a little rinse, rubbed off the dirt where necessary, chopped a bit off the bottom, a bit off the top. Awesome. And, and that was it. Awesome. And That's I so was great. so proud of myself knowing yeah. I was coming to talk to you. I was like... Oh, look at me. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, honestly, isn't that so satisfying? It's like, I just, this is all the stuff that could have gone in the trash and I'm going to eat it. And I saved that money and I saved that food. I find it super satisfying personally. And I just think it's like, it's, there's all these things that, that are pretty small, but they make you feel better. And then those things can really add up. You know, you can, you make more food for your family. You don't have to buy carrots again so soon. There's all these small benefits that really do add up in a way that's valuable. And um, another thing that I started doing, which is something that um, can also make a big difference is like you can take those, what if you did peel your carrots, for example, let's say you wanted a fancy looking peeled carrot dish, (laughs) or you take the ends that you topped off the um, top and the bottom of the carrot, and then you put it in a freezer bag in the freezer and all those bits and bobs of like vegetable peelings can then be used to make stock. 
So there's so many ways that you incorporate these little habits into your cooking and then you can save a lot of money and you've got like delicious homemade stock for cooking on hand at all times. And that's always useful. It's nice to realize that these things like um, economizing and saving money and making delicious food all go together. I find that very satisfying. Oh, I find that satisfying. 100%. I think a lot of people do. And then realizing that, you know, there are these small things that you can implement that make a big difference is, is a good thing. I got to ask, other than the stock... What is one of your favorite ways to just kind of use up bits and bobs? Like, for example, I made nachos the other day mm. and I put all my like scraps of vegetables and even some spinach and things. And it was nice. delicious. Yeah. I'm like leftovers on nachos. Totally. Totally. Do you um, have like a go-to, oh, I've got to use these up? Yeah. So one of my favorites is a sheet pan frittata. So it's basically um, I go through the fridge and I find, you know, leftovers or I find like bits of cheese, you know, it's too small to do something with um, or like the ends of a cheese board is really helpful. You know, and like you make a big, beautiful cheese platter and then there's all these tiny different bits of different cheese or anything from like pesto or olives or little things, the last of a jar that need to be used up. And then I scatter them on a sheet pan and then I beat a whole bunch of eggs and then I just pour it over and I bake it. And it's really useful because also you can customize, you know, we've been talking about being moms, like, you know, my son right now loves cheese, but doesn't want anything green touching his food. So you can make a section for your kid, for one kid, you can make a section for another kid, then like the grownups get all the delicious stuff and the spicy things that my kids don't want to eat. You can arrange it on the pan, then pour eggs all over it and bake it. And then all of a sudden you have this easily customizable dinner for everybody. I love that idea. And I would even maybe do it in like a muffin pan and then you can totally. customize each of the little yes that's a great idea nooks and crannies yeah Ooh. and uh and then you can you know have these individual egg bites for people that's a great idea i'm going to incorporate that into my own you can have that one all right thanks <laughs> that one's for free <laughs> done <laughs> so you're still working on this cookbook it's not out yet Correct. It is probably going to be out in 2020, summer 2023 is what we're hoping. Sadly, okay. uh, you know, pandemic times have pushed back supply chains and deadlines and everything. So yeah, so I'm still working on it now. It's good you didn't do it yet because I heard there's a bunch of cookbooks at the bottom of the ocean. Oh my gosh, I know. It's such a crazy story. <laughs> <laughs> so we know it's not yours. Not mine, thankfully. Yeah. So you're going to finish writing this book. We're hoping to see it in summer 2023. What else is on the horizon? Where do you hope to go from here? We can talk about like the realistic dreams and the big dreams. Yeah. So, you know, the big dream is everyone who cooks or buys food or has anything to do with like the the, the food system gets a chance to read this book and make these small changes, you know. 40% of the food in the U.S., at least we'll just talk about one country, but a very big one. If 40% of the food in the U.S. is not going to eaten, and then 40% of that is at the household level, you can imagine there's a big difference that can be made there. So if, if everyone is just even has the mindset of, of wasting less food, there's just so much that can be done. And I really love that you know, once I start talking to people at, about this, there's so much that is, you know, a small action that can be taken, but the one that's very satisfying and personally makes a difference that can, you know, I think everyone is like, 
oh, that's something I can do. You know, whether it's, you know, looking at your fridge before you go grocery shopping or you're learning how to use your freezer better. There are so many ways that that people can really make a difference for themselves and then as a whole. So, yeah, I really want to see, you know, I want to see it being something that people think about. That's not just an idea. I guess the thing, one of the things is just like, if you care about climate change or the environment, this is the way that you personally can have an effect. And that is something that I think get, can get overwhelming sometimes is, is, you know, I'm just one person, what can I do? If you can compost your food scraps, like that's making a difference. But it's it's nice also sitting here, because we chatted a bunch about our kids before uh, we started the interview, to also start setting that example for them you know my son just read a book about Greta Mm, and so now he's obsessed with like mom how did you care about the earth today and I'm like (laughs) that's so cool yikes um (laughs) but this is one way and you know both my kids are wanting to be in the kitchen more with me Mm, which is which is something you know I've got my boundaries sometimes right absolutely (laughs) sometimes I need my zone um But it's nice if I can start sharing with them how to do these little things and let my son know this is one way we can care about the earth. Absolutely. And I mean, I think it's such a big thing to be able to raise kids who are having a sense of where their food comes from. I think Mm. we, you know, have past generations have gotten really far away from that and how to feed themselves. Everybody should have a basic sense of how to feed themselves. And also, yeah, being a responsible environmental citizen, I think, is, is a hope that I have for my kids and, and a hope that I have for everyone's kids. And if you get if they get the, a chance to understand, you know, my kids now, even my three-year-old, he runs up to me and he goes, does this go in the compost or the trash or the recycling? And, you know, <laughs> sometimes it's not always clear. <laughs> but uh, I've, I, once I've taught him that, you know, food waste belongs in the compost and that is going to get returned to the ground and help us grow new fruits and vegetables. And that's something that he understands even as a three-year-old. And that is a cool thing for him to know and understand and, and you know, hopefully make a difference when he grows up and cooks for himself. So I think we're basically touching on this. How can listeners join in this fight against food waste? Yeah, well, exactly as you're saying. I mean, there's there are so many ways that individually you can change the way that you do things where that, you know, everything from um, the way that you organize your fridge or the way that you grocery shop. Um, one thing that I like to do is so if you're cooking and you've you've used half a garlic head or half a lemon wedge or something for me those always used to get pushed to the back of the fridge and then I would cut another lemon and then I'd realize that I had two lemon wedges already in the back of the fridge and my sister Irene who does this with me she she instituted an eat me first box in the um, walk-in refrigerator at our restaurant where it was like okay if you're going to cook if you're going to prep food for the dinner shift then you go here first and realize that like that's something that everybody needs in their own refrigerator is like a little eat me first box where all the bits and bobs go it's just being organized and knowing that okay here's where everything lives and I go back to it rather than having to like search the back of the fridge for many discarded moldy lemon halves which has totally happened to me before so you know you you add this eat me first box to your fridge you know we talked about the stock bag you put stock bag in your freezer I also have a smoothie bag so this is especially useful if you have small children who like to eat you know you've cut them apple slices and they eat one and then they they leave the rest I basically have not thrown out a piece of fruit since I started a smoothie bag where you take everything every fruit doesn't matter what it is pop it in the bag and then when it's full or when the kids want smoothies put it in a blender with you know whatever it is milk or almond milk or juice and then you make smoothies 
And then my other great mom tip is if you put that leftover smoothie into a popsicle, then it is so exciting and it's a treat. And they're like, I get a popsicle. And you're like, I just fed you that apple that you refused to eat earlier. <laughs> Another one that I think is big for moms actually is um, my kids, eat, you know, leave breakfast cereal every morning. They're like, I want to pour my own breakfast cereal and they fill the whole bowl and then they leave this strawberry flavored milk and oat cereal or whatever in their bowl. What I like to do is toss it into a blender with maybe some jam and some frozen strawberries and then I blend it all up and then I put it into a popsicle. So, Wait a second. Yeah. Pause for the cause. <laughs> you make discarded cereal popsicles. Yeah, and it's delicious. <laughs> I think you just changed my life because this is my everyday struggle. Isn't it a pet peeve? It's such a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> Even I'm going to call out my husband on this yeah. one because he he like pours like he's making a dish for himself when he pours them cereal. Right. I'm like, no, oh my gosh. just literally so fill the bottom yes, of the bowl. Exactly. <laughs> That's so funny because, yes, I know someone who also does that. We're not going to name names. No, not naming names. Um, Yeah, you know, it's like people put oats in their smoothies. So why not put the oat cereal that's already got sweetener in it? So pop that and the strawberry flavored milk and, you know, some other fruit from your smoothie bag in there. Make smoothies. They'll drink the smoothies. I think kids love, you know, kids love smoothies and straws. It's cold. It's icy. It's fruity. And then whatever they don't eat, you make it to popsicles. It's like you just keep keep it going. There's this cycle that you keep going and, and they'll eat it all. It's it's kind of awesome to see. And you know what I love is I know there's going to be listeners who don't have kids, who are not mm-hmm. parents, and yep. they're going to go, huh. I'm going to do that for myself. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, you, everything, I mean, I'm sure you know, everything that your kid eats, you'll probably snack on the leftovers of. Like, those things are still delicious. Smoothies, delicious. Leftover I mean, breakfast cereal smoothies, delicious. If they like it, humans like it. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Well, do you have any last encouraging words for listeners or things you hope people take away from this conversation? I mean, I really just want people to to start thinking about these things. Just start buying your food, cooking your food, and disposing of your food with the idea that these this food is all stuff that, that someone worked hard to grow, that it takes effort and labor and money to get this to your kitchen. And if you can understand the value of that and the money that you yourself have spent on it, and the value that you get from cooking and eating it, just I think being more mindful of all that, it, it makes a really big difference. We'll go a long way ultimately towards, you know, making this planet a better place to live, that that we're not wasting valuable resources from water and farmland to, you know, the people who truck it across countries or around the world to the people who put it in supermarkets and get it to you. Like that's all this work and money and labor. However, we can make that be valuable is is important. Well, thank you so much for coming and chatting with me. I've had a blast. I know. It's been really fun. (laughs) And I will make sure to link all your social media and everything in the show notes. Listeners, please go follow along and so we can keep track as well of when the cookbook is coming out. Yes, absolutely. Because it's not just a cookbook. It's a how-to on life and cooking and food and (laughs) all the things in this world. (laughs) Because we all need a little help sometimes, right? Like None of us knows it all. Nobody knows it all. We can all learn from each other. And, you know, if I can help make your cooking and feeding people journey be the slightest, slightest bit easier or, you know, cheaper or more efficient, then then that's, you know, that that makes me happy. You said cheaper and easier and more efficient. 
I'm, and I'm more sold. delicious. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely should have added that part. <laughs> you didn't even need to add delicious. I was sold. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing too, is I think it's really kind of a no brainer. Like there's all these, all these things that's just like, do you want to save money and eat yes. better food? Who yes. doesn't? So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. A big thank you to May for sharing her story of a Chinese-American foodie upbringing and the food waste feast story from food truck to Mei to dumplings and her own kitchen. Here's to more delicious moments because it's oh so satisfying. For more about May and the Mei siblings, check out the show notes on balancingstories.com. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter for bonus content, free of course, and if you like what you hear and you want to support me, you can leave a tip through Buy Me a Coffee, link on the website. Thank you for listening. This was Balancing Stories, and I'm Megan Kitchen. Mm-hmm.